As you're being seated, if you will find your Bible and open it up or turn it on with me, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 139 today. If you are, ooh, I just got a splinter. If you are uh, watching online, I think I'm okay, don't worry, you don't have to call the ER or anything like that. But uh, if you're watching online today as we begin our sermon this morning, if you'll take a time, take a moment to invite somebody to come and participate in worship with us. We're going to be dealing with one of the meatiest psalms in all the Bible today, Psalm 139, and it deals with a lot of what we would call life's ultimate questions. Is there any real meaning to life beyond what we can just squeeze out of the moment? Is a person declared to be human at a moment in time by our society or by science? Or is a person inherently human from conception to eternity? Does dependence on another make one less valuable as a human being? Why is racism wrong? Why should we love our neighbor? Why should we do unto others as we would have them do to us? What makes the golden rule right? Why is it right to extend care for another person, even though that person might be physically limited in some manner? Why should children, senior citizens, those that are neglected, be treated with respect and dignity? These are questions that we wrestle with in the philosophical realm of life. We might call them life's ultimate questions. And all of these questions do find answers in a foundational issue. And that foundational issue is, do you believe that life itself is intentional or is it accidental? Is life intentional or is life accidental? In our time today, uh, I want to ask this question, does the Bible teach that life is intentional or is life just a biologically random event that happens to occur? And in this series, we've been calling it, What is Your Favorite Psalm? And what I've been doing is asking people if you have a favorite psalm to let me know. And then each week, I'll I'll pick one. I can't preach the entire uh, book of Psalms, but each week I'll try to pick one. And uh, 55 for you, Jeff? 45, okay. Uh, I'll try to pick one, and I'll try to preach it. And today's Psalm 139, this was sent to me by Joe Alice Rogers, and this is a psalm of King David. Now, you can take this psalm, And you can divide it into four sections, and each section is six verses. And as I said earlier, it's a very important psalm because it reveals the Bible's answers to some of these questions about life and its meaning. It also reveals to us a lot of the attributes of who God is. In this psalm, we see God's omnipresence, we see His omnipotence, we we see His care. There's so much depth to this psalm. So look with me in your Bibles and let's read together the first six verses. Try not to get in the habit of just following along on the screen. Try to bring your Bible and read along with me so that you can see the text there. And also, if you are a note taker, that gives you a good opportunity to take notes as well. The Bible says, "The Lord, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down 
and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty, and I am unable to reach it. So David is calling out to God, and he is specifically talking about the presence of God in his life. And this leads us to a question that I think a lot of people are asking right now. In fact, a lot of you may be asking this right now. Does God care about me? And let's expand this a little bit. Does God care about me? Does God care about you? Does God care about every one of us? Does He just care for a few of us and not care for others? Does God care? Now, the Sunday school answer is yes. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the... But you know, in the reality of life is that whenever you just look around... Very few people really do care about you. Very few people really take the time to know what's going on with you, to spend some time in your head, to spend some time in your heart. Only a handful of people in our life really have our back, those people that will be with us through thick and thin. And as we age, it's really easy to get cynical. And when we get cynical, what we start doing is we start drawing a circle around ourselves. And then as we draw that circle around ourselves, we begin to brick it, and we begin to isolate ourselves. And it gets harder and harder to really let somebody in, and you find yourself forming fewer and fewer friendships and real meaningful relationships. And if we're not careful, we grab a gallon of ice cream, and we kind of just sink into an isolated hopelessness. Philosophically, there's several options for whether or not anyone really cares about you. So let me paint with some broad strokes right now and talk about some of these options. The first one is that inherently, no, nobody really cares that much about you because you're just a random biological creation. Now, to be fair, someone might choose to care about you, but at the same time, we live in a survival of the fittest type world, and their care very well may be dependent upon your contribution to their life. And so, to look at this from a purely secular mindset, taking God out of it, you know, there may be people that care about you, but one of the big issues that you have to ask is, do they really care about me, or do they just care about what I bring to their life? Is there really genuine, lasting care? Now, there's a second answer to this question, does anybody care about me, that says yes, but now you've got to summon somewhat of your inner zen, because this answer says yes, but the reason anyone cares about you is not because of you, but because of us. Because you really aren't you, you are us. And you say, huh? 
This is kind of the uh, John Lennon from the Beatles. Imagine all the people. What do you think? Living life in peace. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Screens all over the world just went off right there whenever I sang that song right there. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, Facebook will have to mute that too because of copyright laws probably. But anyway, uh, <laughs> this is dominant in Eastern religions, uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, a lot of New Ageism. If you listen, it's all over the place on talk shows. You see it in social media, music, movies, and the idea goes that when you quit thinking of yourself as a you, then you can, your identity can kind of dissolve into the great oneness that is us. And essentially, you have value whenever you and I together need each one, each other. And so this great link that we have as human beings, that's what brings our value to us. And then there is a Psalm 139 answer. Uh, Psalm 139 says, yes, there is a God, and that God created you, and that God cares about you, and that God not only created you, He knows you, and that God also walks with you and watches over you and cares about the details of your life loving you with a steadfast love that doesn't run and is always there. And Psalm 139 teaches us that you have intrinsic value as a person because you have been created by a sovereign God. The God of Psalm 139 sees your deepest pain. He knows your darkest thoughts. He searches the crevices of your heart, and He doesn't run away. The God of Psalm 139, He knows when you go to bed. He knows when you get up. He knows when you're traveling. He knows when you are resting. The Scriptures say God encircles us and places His caring hand upon us. It's almost like the Bible was prophesying smartwatches, right? Centuries before they were ever created. He knows when you get up. He knows when you go to sleep. He knows when you're traveling. He knows when you're sitting still. God knows the details of your life. And please hear me today as we work through this psalm. I, I want you to get this. God cares about you. God cares about you. You matter. You are not an accident. Your life is intentional. Now let's keep working through the psalm. Let's look at verse 7 of Psalm 139. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If, my, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me, your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Now, let's just pause here at this point, moment and, and make sure that you are following David's thoughts. 
So in the first section, the first six verses, uh, the Bible concludes that, yes, God cares about us, and He didn't just create us and say, hey, good luck with that, Rosemary, good luck with that, Zane. No, He actually knows us. In other words, God is omniscient. He knows everything about your life. Now, in the second section, we see that God is omnipresent. There is nowhere that you can run, nowhere that you can go, no dark valley that you can go through where God isn't present. Now, this is huge because, as I mentioned earlier, most of our relationships in life are conditional. And we condition ourselves to think that relationships in life are purely conditional. And we see this through our daily life. Uh, Your employer appreciates you, and at the end of your pay period, you get a paycheck. But if you fail to show up for work, or if you go all Jerry Maguire in the office, chances are what's going to happen to that relationship? You all with me still? going to change, right? Over the course of life, you you discover that there is this river of relationships, that there are some relationships that just stay, and there are some relationships that flow into your life, and then as time goes by, they flow out. And so, our initial reaction to God's total knowledge of us may be to say, I'm going to get out of here. He knows me this well. He knows my thoughts. He knows my heart. He knows about that. I need to get out of here. But guess what? There's nowhere to run. Because the Scripture points out here that that God is everywhere. Now, here's the mental flip that has to occur in your mind. Stick with me, okay? God's knowledge and His presence are not suffocating love, rather they are freeing love. Because in Christ, we have a security of knowing that our relationship with God has been secured for all eternity, and nothing, as the book of Romans says, is going to separate us from God's love because we are safe in His hands, not because of our loveliness, but because of His power and might and grace. Are you a believer today? If you're a believer in Christ, listen to me here. God knows every thought you've ever had. God knows everything you've ever done. God knows every sin you have ever committed. And He still loves you. Not because of your loveliness, but because of His grace. God loves you even when we're not lovable. The Scriptures say, it's probably Jesus' most famous sentence, John 3.16, that God was motivated by His love so much that He sent His Son to bridge the isolation of sin And through His Son to bring forgiveness to our past and purpose to our present and hope to our future. Let's keep looking at this beautiful psalm. This next section is probably the most familiar to you. 
Look with me in verse 13. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. You saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how precious your thoughts are to me, how vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. When I wake up, I am still with you. Now let's go back to our original question. You still walking with me? Do you believe that life is intentional or accidental? Now again, this is a huge question because if human life is nothing more than winning a random biological lottery, then it is very, very difficult to find real purpose and real meaning to any of our lives. In fact, if you hear the discussions, frequently the admonition or the encouragement is to just find meaning in the moment. And you can squeeze meaning out of the moments that you have. But ultimately, here's, here's the problem. If there's no God, if all you have is the moment, then you don't have anything really meaningful. Because every moment that you squeeze meaning out of actually goes away. Nothing really lasts. To be meaningful, it kind of has to last. So doing something significant in a non-intentional world of humanistic chance allows you to be the tire in the landfill. Congratulations. Your legacy lives atop a pile of rotting rubbish. But the Bible teaches us that human life has inherent meaning, purpose, intentionality. And furthermore, this meaning is not something that is declared upon you by your family or society. Because if family or society can simply say, okay, this person has meaning, then family or society can also say what? This person has no meaning, right? That de declaration works both ways. The Scriptures teach us that you are valuable because God created you in His own image. He knit you together, and when did He knit you together? While you were still in your mother's womb. And so we as human beings are to praise God for this incredible gift of life. Just take in a deep breath right now, okay? Just breathe deeply. That is the breath of life within you. That is a gift from God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Even the parts of you that you don't like are fearfully and wonderfully made. God can use your story for His glory. It is the intentionality of our Creator that leads me to be a voice for the voiceless. It leads us to champion the human rights of babies, orphans, children, the elderly, the disabled, the neglected around us. 
It is the intentionality of the Creator that leads me to reject the sins of racism, to embrace empathy, to follow the golden rule of life. And furthermore, it is the intentionality of the Creator that causes us to view life not just through a 50-year window, a 100-year window, or just through the moment that we have right now, but it causes us to have a hope that lasts for all eternity. John 3.16, for God so loved, motivated by His love, God loved you and God loved you and God loved you in such a way that He gave. His love is a giving love and He gave everything that He has. He gave Himself, His only Son, so that what? Whoever what? Believes. Whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, when we read that verse, normally uh, we, we latch on to the, the God loved, He gave, His Son. Uh, we need to believe. Have you ever latched on to the word perish? Shall not perish. That God never intended for the meaning of your life to be momentary. Significance is more than being the tire in the landfill. It's more than simply, well, I'm the last thing to, to erode. Significance has eternal meaning. Let's keep working through the psalm. Verse 19. God, if only you would kill the wicked... You bloodthirsty men, stay away from me, who invoke you deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you? I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is an offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. Now, I don't know about you, but as you're kind of reading through there, the tone kind of changes, doesn't it? I told you David's a complex guy. One moment he's like, God, how precious your thoughts are, how vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. And the next one he's like, God, if only you would kill the wicked. I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you. I hate them with extreme hate. He's a complex guy, right? Now we saw, I'm glad none of us are complex, right? We saw in verses 1 through 6 that God is all-knowing. And we saw in verses 7 through 12 that God is ever-present. And we saw in verses 13 through 18 that God is sovereign and God is intentional. And here in verses 19 through 24, we see that God is also forgiving and eternal. Now, King David was struggling with the forgiving part. He had a lot of troubles. You think you had trouble, you have troubles, <laughs> read David's life. He was always in trouble. Makes you feel better at least. I mean, he was always being betrayed. He was hunted like an animal. Whole army hunted David down at one point. He was attacked, lied about. And in verse 19, he's like, Lord, I need you to get rid of all those wicked people. Now, here's what you got to be really careful about whenever you say, Lord, I need you to get rid of all those wicked people, is that you tend to forget that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If the standard is just wicked, well, there's some wickedness in my own heart as well. 
And so you've got to be really careful with that. I mean, how many sins does it make, take to make a sinner? Yeah. So in verse 23, David changes his tone a bit. You see that he, he really quits looking outward and he starts looking more inward. And he asks God to look within him. And he says in verse 23, search me, God. Search me and know my heart. Now remember in the first part of the psalm, he was like, there's, no, there's nothing that God doesn't know. And then in the next part of the psalm, he was like, so if I go here, I go there. If I go to the heavens or to Sheol, wherever I go, God is there. And, and there's this tendency when we think about the fact that God knows everything about me to say, well, I'm going to push away from that because I don't want that suffocating love. But then whenever you begin to realize that it is a love of grace that is everlasting, instead of running from it, we come to it and we say, God, search me. Search me and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. Lord, if there is darkness that is still living in the chambers of my soul, shine your light into that darkness. Reveal to me your truth and change me from the inside out. If you want to change the world, you begin by surrendering your heart to the God who created the world. And David here surrenders his heart. Now we saw last week that David was a successful person. By any standard, David was successful. And yet, he was still a man who had an empty heart. Because for David to find joy, he had to quit scheming. He had to quit blaming. And he had to just come before God and say, Lord, search me. I'm so glad. The Bible tells me in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, do you know the next part? He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. And then it goes one step further. He cleanses us. He scrubs us. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so this psalm ends with a plea from a humble man, God, lead me in the everlasting way. And I want to invite you today to stop running. Stop fighting. Stop having the clenched fist and open the hand. Realize you don't have to have all the answers. And God doesn't call you to have all the answers. The call of Jesus was to believe. To place your faith and to place your trust in Him. And so I want to invite you today to surrender to an all-powerful, all-knowing, eternally loving God who created you on purpose for a purpose. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please? Let me ask you this question. Has there ever been a moment in your life where you opened your heart to God, you confessed your sin, asked for forgiveness, and embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? If there's never been that moment, I want to invite you to make this right now your moment. Whether you're in the room or whether you're watching in your living room, on your back porch, wherever you might be, 
if there's never been that moment where you surrendered to the everlasting God, trusting in Christ as Savior, let's make it right now. Just call out to God, God, forgive me. Lord, I want to quit running from you, and instead I want to run to you. And I place my faith and my trust, even my questions, Lord, I place in you. And I'm trusting in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want to invite you to open up your heart to ask God to move deeply into your life and to change you from the inside out. And I want you to know this today. The loving God of the universe who created you will forgive you will save you, and will keep you. You are His child for all eternity. Find rest in Christ. Today is the moment where you trust in Christ for the very first time. Please let me know. I'll be here at the front. I'll be here after the service as well. You can also, maybe you're watching this online, maybe you're even watching this in the future on a replay, and you can send me a note, pastor at murphychurch.com. I won't embarrass you. I, I just want to celebrate the fact that you've made this spiritual decision in your life. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and we live in a world that often tells us we are just a random, a random event and encourages us to search for meaning that has no depth. Help us, Lord, to find an eternal meaning to all that we say and do. And Lord, may we recognize that when we find that meaning, it frees us. It doesn't suffocate us. It frees us to live, to love, to care. It frees us from having to live on the performance treadmill and to put others down in order to put ourselves up. Instead, Lord, we find our security and our identity in Jesus Christ, and it allows us to have love and empathy and to care for those that are hurting amongst us. I pray for that one that feels isolated, that one that feels alone. I pray for those that are dealing with, dealing with the struggles of this, of this season that we as humanity are walking through together. I pray that they might get a glimpse for just how deeply they are loved by you today. Thank you, Lord, for your all-forgiving mercy for your everlasting grace. May we rest in your love. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Much love to you all. Let's stand together. Let's sing this hymn.